Turn with me in your Bibles to the short book, a 14-verse book called 3 John. We're making our way through the epistles of John, and we're at the third and final one. You can put your finger there. I'll eventually get there. Now, Heavenly Father, as we open uh, your word, we pray that your spirit would open our hearts and that we would yield our wills to yours and the truth that we find here in the pages of scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning we turn our attention to the shortest book in the New Testament, that is in the Greek, uh, written by the last surviving disciple, the Apostle John. Now, it's odd to call just a 14-verse letter a book, but that's how we categorize the scriptures. And it's a short message indeed, but really um, concerning issues that really could fill many books. How to use Christian discernment. That's a big word for just doing the right thing in the right situation, kind of like wisdom. Now, for some context, 3 John follows 2 John, and there may be a connection. John's second letter, as we saw written to a specific church, about uh, discernment. Now, in their case, they needed to grow in their understanding about what biblical love is. What was the problem? Last week we said it was called sloppy agape, uh, <laughs> where... The, the Greek word for love, God's love, is agape. And so uh, their, their openness and their acceptance and hospitality uh, had no uh, discretion about it. There was no wisdom, no discernment. It was just, uh, let's love everybody, no matter even if they're doing evil. Yes, we love them in the regard that we pray for them, but there is discernment about not opening yourself or putting others in harm's way. They were opening their homes to false teachers who, by theological error and immoral lifestyle, were wreaking havoc in the first century churches. And, and John is saying through the uh, inspiration of the Holy Spirit, think, think, yes, love, feel with your heart, but use your mind as well, because truth rejoices uh, not in evil, but with good. And love will always protect. And so that was their problem. They were sincere. They felt the obligation to be warm and welcoming to everybody. But John is saying, you're doing the wrong thing. That was last week with Second John. He says, you're enabling them. And I, I love this definition. Just quickly before we go ahead. Biblical love has a backbone and withdraws hospitality when because of it, evil is encouraged Christian witnesses compromised, or souls are placed in harm's way. And another old school preacher said, I, I love what he said, he said, let us always be wary of ever being more merciful than Jesus our Lord. <laughs> yeah, so I think to paraphrase that, I would say mercy stops being mercy when it enables bad behavior. Mercy stops being mercy when it's enabling something terrible to happen. So, Second John's about using discernment to refrain from hosting 
people that are destructive and harming God's work in people. Third John, on the other hand, may be a reaction to second John. Because now third John is about using discernment to continue hosting people who are helping God's work in people. And so, you know, sometimes you, you, you overreact. And maybe John is thinking, did the church think that I meant shut the door to everybody? You know, were they being overly strict? Now nobody is hosting and they're not supporting. So he's saying, okay, let me balance what I just wrote to you. And so he's going to now tell them about using discernment, about opening their hearts and, he's, and having a healthy balance by calling out three people in the congregation. He really concentrates on two. And we're going to learn uh, from their example this morning. Two very famous men in the Bible, uh, one positive and one very negative. Uh, first is the individual to whom John is addressing the letter, Gaius. All right, so let's read the whole book, 14 verses. The elder, to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth, dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy to have some brothers come and tell about your faithfulness to the truth and how you continue to walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you're doing for the brothers even though they're strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. It was for the sake of the name they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such men so that we might work together for the truth. Now, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will have nothing to do with us. So if I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, gossiping maliciously about us. Not satisfied with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Dear friend, don't imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil hasn't seen God. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone, and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him. And you know that our testimony is true. I have much to write you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends here send their greetings. Greet the friends there by name. All right. Look at you, already read a book of the Bible this morning. <laughs> you are seriously devoted. Now, John's writing to a friend here to encourage Gaius, you know, uh, but he's got the whole church in mind. He wants to communicate with them, but John can't get through to the church because of Diotrephes, the bad boy. Uh, we would call him a control freak who's intercepting John's attempts to communicate with the congregation, as you saw in verse 9. But John gets around the bad boy by writing to one member in particular, a friend of his, and he knows that that man is faithful, so he's going to get the letter of 3 John and these issues 
into Gaius' hands, and then he's going to communicate these truths to the church. Now, wherever there are people, writes Warren Wearsby, there are problems. <laughs> Amen? Amen? Now, he also says, wherever there are people, there are potential problem solvers. Each of us must honestly face the question, am I part of the problem or am I part of the answer? So this morning, I want that question to be kind of driving our conversation in the back of your minds and in your hearts. I want you to be thinking honestly with a cold assessment, no bias allowed. Am I part of a problem? Am I a lot of work in my marriage or at work or in the church? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, happy Father's Day. <laughs> <laughs> Or am I part of the answer? All right? So this morning, let's focus our discussion on these two men mentioned. There are three mentioned, and Demetrius at the end, he will be a little PS, but he joins the first class. Number one, Gaius, he's part of the answer, a man who helps the work of the Lord. Group two, Diotrephes, part of the problem, a man who hinders the work of the Lord. Now, let's talk... Number one, Gaius, he's part of the answer. He's a man who helps God's work. When Jesus sees him, he's going to say, Gaius, well done. You, you refreshed me. Man, you were a help. Thank you for helping me. You were like a co-worker I could depend on. So he's, he's part of the answer. And John starts with a traditional greeting. And they verse 1, they certainly had it right in the ancient times by signing the letter first. That makes so much sense. It just says, you know, this is from John, the elder, the old man. It was his nickname. It, of course, it means a senior man, mature Christian, worthy of respect, as we talked about last week. But he says, you know, up front, isn't it nice not to have to wonder, who is this email from? You know, you have to figure it out. It's like they had it smart, you know. It's me. It's John, the elder. Pastor Chuck of the region as they kind of nicknamed him the old man. And so it's nice to know it's from him. Right away, John expresses his love for Gaius. And he says kind of an odd phrase, something I would never say, I love you in the truth. Now, that's kind of an odd way of saying it. Now, let me explain like I did last week quickly. Gaius, his buddy in the church, he knows the same truth that John knows. The truth that John wrote, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He knows that too. He knows the Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. Gaius knows that. John knows that, and that, that knowledge of the truth knits their hearts together in love, and not so much just in a regular way, but now in the, with the backdrop of Diotrephes, who's not walking in the truth and causing so many troubles and, and making stuff up about the Apostle John and dividing the church and being such a troublemaker. He says, man, Gaius, oh, I love you in the truth. Oh, yes. Somebody who's walking in truth, knows the truth, loves the truth, 
and it's joined to meet together and both of us are walking on the same page of truth. He says, I love you, buddy, in the truth. The truth in your heart, the truth in your mind, the truth that you love, the truth that you live by. Me too. I love you. Sharing the same truth that sets our hearts free and keeps us out of hell and gives us eternal life promotes an undying love and an undying bond between those who have this truth in common. Well, moving on, verse 3. An interesting blessing there. Let me paraphrase my prayer for you. My friend, is that your outward health in life would match the prosperity of your inward spiritual health in life. Think about that. Could he pray that for you? Or would they have to call the paramedics if they did? <laughs> in other words, he's saying, here's a guy who's rich inwardly. He may be sick, and that's why he's saying this. Nobody knows for sure. Maybe a traditional blessing. But he's saying, man, if only your outward were in reality what we know to be what's going on on the inside, rich, buff, masculine, a warrior, rich toward God, treasures of knowledge and depth of wisdom and insight and discernment and maturity and selflessness and nourishment of the word of God. You go to this guy with a question or a problem. or Where does it say in the Bible? He got the scroll. He knows where it is. Sorry, I just went into, yeah. Because they didn't an open books back then. Amen. It was all in scrolls. And so he knows. And, and, and he says, boy, if only that was made evident in your life. A lot of us took some time to get ready this morning. We do every week. We take care of the outward so well. We go to the gym. We watch what we eat. Oh, no, I can't eat that. Oh, no, I can't eat that. Because it's got whatever in it, and I'm not going to call you out here. <laughs> but there's a whole list of things that we can't eat. Oh, no, 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 I can't. But I can watch that. And I can say these things. And I can entertain these thoughts like this. But oh, no, 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 I can't have that. And how much time we spend on teeth and hair. Well, not really. <laughs> and clothes and ironing and the outward, 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 outward. And he says, boy, Gaius, if only your inward were the reality of your outward. Wow. So I want to be able to receive that blessing. So moving on, Christian, uh, here's, the, here's what's going on here. Now we hear uh, what's prompting 3 John. Christian workers, listen, follow me. Christian workers from John's church. John is pastoring a church. Christian workers went on a short-term missions trip, and they stayed at Gaius' house part of the time. Those men left Gaius' church and came back to John and the church, telling about the problem with Diotrephes, and the, pro and the wonderful treatment that Gaius showed them. So now, John has written 3 John, put it back in the hands of short-term missionaries, and sent them back to Gaius' church, to Gaius. And now he's telling them, telling the church through Gaius, what is important to know. Here's now the paraphrase of 3 and 4. 
Some of the brothers came back and mentioned how well you're doing in your Christian life and you're on the straight and narrow path, kid. I can't tell you how happy that makes me. Is, is there any greater joy than knowing someone you love is safe and sound, walking in right relationship with God? And so he moves from his greeting to encouragement for Gaius. He says, kid, you're a blessing to me. You've brought joy to my heart. Now, um, my Zach, who's visiting with Caitlin, his wife, uh, texted me last week, Dad, Pops, what do you want for Father's Day? And I texted back, you already got me my present. And he texted back, no, I didn't. <laughs> and I said, yes, you did. And he said, no, Dad, I didn't. Really, honestly, I did not. No, 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 didn't do it. Stop. And I said, uh, yes, you did. You walk with the Lord. I knew this was going to happen. <laughs> you married a godly woman. You make right choices. You serve at your church down there. I know you're safe and sound. I've got my father's state present. And then I said, but there is a biking jersey. <laughs> and my favorite color is blue. And if I was buying one, I would buy a large. <laughs> so I, I got both presents. Even the blue part was nice. Now listen, I love all three of my children, and all three of them bring blessing to me throughout their lives. And it's especially true when you're walking with the Lord. John says, there's no, there's no greater joy in the world. And mom and dad, if you're a Christian, or you become a mom and dad, and you love the Lord, you will understand what John is saying here. And can I just give a shout out to Gaius? Uh, Gaius, John the Apostle said, you know what, I got a heavy load on me. I'm the last surviving disciple of Jesus. I got a lot of concerns as the elder in the region. I get weighed down, I get heavy. All my, all my disciple buddies, they were murdered, except me for some reason. But when... I got word of what you're doing. I smiled, and you brought peace to me. You took some of my burden off because of how you're living for God. Do we realize that? How much joy you can bring by just doing the hard work of Christian discipline every day? You're blessing somebody, if not alone, the Lord who saved you. So moving on, apparently John's like a spiritual dad to Gaius, and he just says, you've made me proud. Verse 4, you're walking in the truth, and now we're going to get a chance to see what that actually looks like. Gaius is part of the answer. He's helping the cause of Christ by helping the brothers. So let's paraphrase 5 through 8. You can listen. My dear buddy Gaius, way to be faithful helping the brothers who are traveling through your areas, spreading the gospel and doing missions work. Thank you. Now we've all heard how you've shown them God's love, even though you don't know them personally. You're doing the right thing in supporting them. Send them now on their way in the same manner you'd support Jesus, the Lord himself, because it's for his sake that they went out to do his work. And of course, without any help from unbelievers, Therefore, 
since they're doing God's work and we can't expect the world to support the mission, it's up to us. We must show them hospitality and support them as we all work together for the truth of the gospel. So, short-term missions workers get back, like I said, and sing Gaius' praises. Uh, he's wholeheartedly supported the team at risk because of the bad boy. Boy, you support John and John's friends, and we'll, we'll make sure you're put out of the church. We'll all shun you. We'll treat you like second-class citizens. But no, Gaius said no. I'm going to support them. Uh, now, he didn't know them personally, and he opened his door. Now, we know that he tested their teaching. They said, hey, we're from John's church. Oh, yeah, well, how's John doing? Tell me all about John. And they did, and they knew things. And the spirit and the vibe and the teaching said, you know, well, what do you think about Jesus coming in the flesh? You, you, you believe Jesus is God in a human body? Yeah, of course. That's what John, the whole gospel of John teaches. Come on in. Let me help you. Well, what about Diotrephes? God can take care of him. Come on in. We've got a guest room for you boys. And so he's giving him a shout out of thanks. Now, John gives some reasons for these men to uh, have their, their full support. Now, first of all, uh, he says, hey, you've got to treat them right and support missionaries and ministers who do the work of the gospel. Number one, they went out for the sake of the name. Well, what a beautiful phrase. And the Holy Spirit is preaching a sermon through that phrase. For the sake of what name? Well, is there any other name? Of course there isn't any other name. There's one name given among men under heaven by which we must be saved. Acts chapter 4 and verse 13 or 12. I always get that one mixed up. I think it's 12. It is. Jesus has been, I looked down. Jesus has been exalted to the highest place and at the name, he has been given the name that is above every name. Philippians 2, 9. Verse 10, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. They went out for the sake of the name. Listen, in another place, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing after they got flogged for preaching the gospel because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. There it is again. And God unashamedly says, for you folks, when salvation is on the line and your soul wants to get to heaven and escape hell, there's only one name. There's one name. God has revealed himself by one name. Jesus, our Lord, is salvation. Christ, the one, our Savior, our Rescuer. There's only one God, and he has a name. Jesus, Christ, the one the salvation. And so he says, you know, these guys, you've got to support ministries and ministers because they're all about his sake, his business. He's, they're doing his work. Uh, they're continuing Jesus' work on this earth. What did Jesus come to do? Preach the good news. Proclaim freedom to those who are, are prisoners. To open blind eyes to the truth that can set a heart free to release the oppressed, to teach God's word, to proclaim the gospel to the lost, to strengthen uh, and encourage the church to equip Christians. All of this happens 
as a result of ministers and ministries and churches operating, and that doesn't happen without support. So he says, of course I'm asking you to support the work because that's how it works. Jesus said in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, you know the reason I came? To seek and save the lost. And one commentator said, and on the same errand, he has sent the church. After Jesus was crucified, dead, and buried, and raised, he said, now listen, I'm sending you out. Listen, as the Father sent me into the world, I'm sending you. Let that settle on you. Every Christian who has Christ in their heart is letting Christ continue his work on earth through your hands, through your mouth, through your life. You bear Christ and his work. And so uh, John is saying to Gaius, of course we have to support Christian workers in the church and contribute and bring our offerings. That's how God does his work. Those who uh, themselves have been rescued by the truth are those who are supporting or called to support the ongoing rescue and proclamation of that truth. In other words, we who have been saved by the truth proclaim and support that same truth. That's the way it works. He says, let me give you kind of three reasons why you must support Christian ministry. Number one, for Christian witness. We, want, we don't want to go to the world, to unbelievers, and say, hey, we need some money. We've got to go preach the gospel in Africa. Could you just give us some money? Could you give us a grant? They, they don't do that. God didn't ordain that to happen. We don't go asking the world for something. We've got something to give the world. We don't say, hey, we'd love to tell you about this wonderful life in Christ if only we had the resources, which you apparently have. And we would like some of those resources from you. And then we'll tell you about Jesus. It doesn't make sense. He said they didn't receive a penny from the pagans. Why should they? They don't believe in what we're talking about. They don't believe in Jesus. Oprah's not going to give you a cent to go out and preach in Jesus' name. Now, if you're going to build, you know, some houses, or you're going to feed the hungry, or if you're going to dig a well and get clean water, that's fine and good. But not in his name you don't. Our point is this. We want to do all of those things, but we want to give them living water as well. Because if you drink the clean water and it quenches your thirst, praise God, but at the end of your life, you die, you perish without Jesus. And if you build a house and it doesn't have a foundation, spiritually speaking, on Jesus Christ and obedience to God's word, you perish it's nice that somebody built your house. We're very happy and we should be doing things like that. But in the name of Jesus, we'll clothe you. Yes, they don't mind doing acts of benevolence like that, but they don't want it done in Jesus' name. So John's saying, where in the world are we going to get the money to do this? He says, of course it's you. It's not them. The city of Santa Rosa didn't help us build this church. They require money from us. We, we would like to expand a doorway. That'll be $2,300 for a permit. What? No, we want money from you. Well, you're not getting any money. We want $2,300 for your doorway. You know, see, so the Bible says, it's up to you. It's not up to them. 
Everybody's thinking, well, somebody else is paying. And, and John is saying, it's you. It is you. That is why you bring an offering. God doesn't need our money. He really doesn't. You bring an offering for his work to acknowledge him. And there are three things, uh, three principles of giving for the New Testament Christian. From 2 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1. Or 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, <laughs> verse 1 and 2. Giving should be proportional according to your income. Number two, it needs to be consistent. And number three, cheerful, period. That is the rule for all Christian giving. Proportional, in keeping with your income. Number two, consistent, because the work of the gospel goes on. And thirdly, cheerful. That's what God asks. To say anything else is not scriptural. I mean, as long as you can find it in the scriptures, you know what I'm talking about, mandates for this amount of money. It's not in the New Testament. Proportional, consistent, cheerful. That's how the work gets done. $10,000 just to rent the building a month. We have 11 employees. $1,500 just to pay the PG&E bill. So we're up to 11.5, and nothing else has happened. Nobody's been paid. Do I say this because we're in need? No. The church is doing well, paying our bills. We have a little bit in savings. I'm saying it because it's the truth. It's the truth. The more that we have, the more that we can do. And so he says, support Christian ministers in a manner worthy of God himself because they're not doing their own thing. That's why they need support. It's because they're doing his thing. So moving on, he's really saying, Gaius, thank you for holding the rope. In other words, the guys who are holding the rope are of equal worth as the guy who's being let down the side of the hill to do the actual rescue. So he's saying, Gaius, you know what? You're not the Christian minister in the, or evangelist in the house. You've, you've enabled him. You've helped. Now, sadly, to the second point, uh, not everybody in 3 John's church there is holding the rope, uh, nor do they want to. And uh, actually, someone is refusing to grab hold and wrestling, actually, the rope out of the hands of those who are trying to be helpful. So second and final point, someone who is part of the problem, Diotrephes, a man who hinders God's work. Let me give you the paraphrase. Verses 9 and 10, you can listen. Gaius, listen. I tried writing to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will have nothing to do with us. If I'm able to come, I'm going to confront him and point out to everyone what he's been doing, spreading false rumors about us and viciously accusing us of all kinds of things. And of course, he doesn't stop there. He won't support any of our missionaries, and he's actually preventing those who want to help from supporting the work and anyone who sides with us winds up kicked out of the church. So there you have it. My reaction, seriously, <laughs> really, 
Honestly, seriously, a church leader? Seriously, isn't it hard enough? I mean, I was really speechless when I first read it. Isn't it hard enough? The Christian life and ministry efforts hard enough? Listen to what we do. Battling a hostile, Christ-rejecting world. Dealing with our sinful natures that wage war against us. Having to put up with the devil and his demonic forces bent on destroying us. Just the stress of living day to day in our marriages and our jobs and our families and making ends meet. You would think that's enough. Churches have financial concerns. People in need inside the congregation, lost and dying world around us, desperate need for workers and volunteers personality issues, spiritual warfare, and to add to all of that, a Christian in the church causing dissension and trouble and problems. It's more than pastors can bear. One pastor wrote, the lowest and most reprehensible sin in God's economy is the man who hinders the work of God from within a mature believer who ought to know better, who puts his own grievances and pride ahead of the health and unity and witness of the church. And it's not just a leader in the church. The spirit of Diotrephes is alive and well in every fallen sinful heart. It's the me first thing, and we're going to talk about that. You've got to be careful because it not only destroys the church fellowship, but it'll wreck your marriage. It'll wreck your home. It'll prevent you from having a good career. Now, as we talk about issues here in our text, listen to me, that are prevalent in first century Christianity, let me set your minds at ease that sermons, uh, in sermons, pastors do not use sermons to address specific people or problems. To do that would go against conscience and ministerial ethics. It goes against theological training. It goes against the scripture. It's a big, fat ministerial no-no, and any good pastor would never use a sermon to manipulate a person or embarrass them or try to get his way done through the teaching of God's word. If he does do that, he needs to be rebuked. It's a, it's a sin to do that. Now, because some people are thinking, well, were, were you looking at me when you just said that? <laughs> uh, I could have sworn, honey, when he said the biggest troublemaker in the church, he was looking straight at me. <laughs> now, if the shoe fits, you know, who am I to tell you not to wear it? <laughs> However, <laughs> listen to me. The purpose of a sermon is to preach and teach the word of God and allow the Holy Spirit to apply the truth. Amen? Amen. This is a church that I don't know that there's one diatrophies in it. I am unaware. Just so you know, I know plenty of Gaiuses. I work with them. Just saying. What is diatrophies' problem? Well, I put on my Dr. Phil cap... And I'll try to figure out, number one, he doesn't like the Apostle John. He says in the text, he doesn't want anything to do with us. Are you kidding me? 
Diotrephes. He hung out with Jesus. He wrote the Gospel of John. You don't want anything to do with him? Well, of course not. Because when he comes to town, everybody is John, John, John. <laughs> do you know what my name means? It means son of Zeus, which it does. <laughs> how about me? Do you know how long I've labored here? Where was John when we started with 20 people? And John comes to town and everybody runs over there. Oh, the disciple of Jesus. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> I felt it coming on, I had to give way to it. <laughs> okay, my first thought, insecurity, envy, jealousy. Was he threatened, pride? Well, we're gonna find out. Uh, did John say or do something that rubbed him the wrong way and then he didn't forgive him and then this festered and festered and festered and became this big deal? Well, verse nine says, maybe we won't tell you the specific thing but we'll tell you the root he loves to be first. Now, in the King James, it says, he loveth the preeminence. That sounds nasty, because <laughs> it is. Here's what the word means in the Greek. Fondness of putting yourself in first place. A desire for distinction and honor. Feelings of superiority. Craving for attention and applause. Self-centered world view. I'm always right. I never apologize. No one messes with me. I control the shots. You're the problem. I'm better than you. The me monster has struck again, and here he is in all his glory. It's always about him. Now, narcissistic personality disorder, let me give you the definition, is a condition in which people have an inflated sense of self-importance and an extreme preoccupation with themselves. Jesus said, watch out for the Pharisees. Uh, they are like that. They love the best places in, at feasts. So at the wedding, their eye goes straight to the head table and they wonder, why aren't I up there? They can barely handle that the bride and groom have their best friends because uh, they want to be up at that table, right? <laughs> why are you all laughing? That's so funny. Uh, <laughs> you're like, well, no, I would have never thought of that. Now, not only that, they love the best seats at church and they love to be called rabbi, rabbi in the marketplace. So people can hear them say, oh, master, master. And everybody, and they're like, oh, I didn't hear you. Oh, master. Oh, thank you. I heard you now. And so did everybody else in the crowd. You know, so they're very happy about that. Unfortunately, that wasn't just in Diotrephes' heart or the Pharisees. But it's in John the Apostle's heart. John, quoting from the Gospels, and his brother and mama come to Jesus and let me quote him. Teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask. Uh, what would that be, said Jesus. <laughs> they replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in glory. So when you come back at your second coming, we all sit down, settle. You're in the center. I'm on your right, and my brother's on the left. Okay? <laughs> and Jesus said, uh, 
you're out of your mind. No, that's my paraphrase. He said, you don't know what you're thinking. He says, can you suffer like I'm going to suffer? And they go, we can. And Jesus is like, wow. No, I, that's not going to happen. It's reserved for who it's reserved for. But let me tell you, those who want to be first will, are going to be last. It's the last. It's the servants who are great. And he said, let me show you what I mean. And shortly after that conversation, he took a servant's smock, the God who spoke the world into being, and got down on his hands and knees and took the position of the household servant, God, in a body, and said, let me see those dirty feet. They need to be washed. And you could hear a pin drop. As the Son of God moved around washing dirty feet, doing the job that nobody else, and admitting, I'm nobody, I'm nothing. I I, I'm taking the form of a servant. And he didn't stop with dirty feet. He wanted to clean dirty souls. So up from that position, he takes on the cross and the sins of the world upon him. He says, I have come not to be served but to serve and to give my life away. And you call yourself my disciple. How can you be higher than me and think that this world revolves around you and everybody needs to have your worldview and serve you? And you're all puffed up with pride. I'm the Lord. And I'm washing dirty feet and I, I don't have a problem with it. He says, watch me live this way and you'll be blessed. Be other-centered. Do not consider uh, yourself more highly than you ought, but in humility to consider others better than yourselves. You're sitting in this room. You've got to think, I, I'm nobody. I, I, I'm the least significant person in the room. He says, that's biblical. Not the other way around. D.L. Moody said, pride is the sin that made the devil the devil. And when we are like the devil, no one around us comes out unscathed. So in verse 10, he says, listen to what he's doing. He's gossiping maliciously about us. Well, yeah, of course. When it's all about you, there's no room for anybody else, right? And so you may not kill them off with a gun, but you've got a lethal weapon. The Proverbs say that uh, the tongue as a weapon of life and death, right, has the power, rather, of life and death. So he has to cut down his rivals. The word gossip there in the Greek, it, it comes from a word to boil, empty bubbles. So you know when it's boiling and the bubbles are just kind of bursting into nothingness? That's where the word comes from. It means groundless, empty. Without merit, nothing. It also means to burp or to foam at the mouth. It just is nasty. It has no bearing. But notice the second word, malicious. Even though it's empty, what he's slandering, the apostle John, it's empty, but it's hurtful. The word means hurtful, injurious, to cause pain or to be evil. You see? And so... I like that John just says, you know what? When I come, I'm going to just tell everybody what's happening. He doesn't say, listen to me. When I get a hold of that guy, you know, he's putting people out of the church. I'm going to put him out of the church. doesn't do that. 
Why? Because he remembers having the spirit of Diotrephes in his own heart. And he wants him to come to repentance. And he's no longer that, uh, you know, call down fire from heaven kind of guy. He's going to reason with this guy. And he's going to win him. And you don't go in there fighting fire with fire. A gentle answer turns around wrath, turns away wrath. And so we see him, he's thinking, if my slander doesn't do the trick and you still like John and all his friends, then I'll get you kicked out of the church. And he says, when I come, I'll set that straight. But finally, in my closing remarks, he says, listen, buddy, you know Demetrius? Imitate that guy. Let's not close on, on a negative. He says, you know what? Let me paraphrase. Long story short, Gaius, learn from this guy and don't imitate him. Don't imitate what's evil. Imitate what's good. People who love the Lord, serve others, and love the church, they live good lives like this. They're from God. People who are evil and hurt others and live for themselves and slandering others are not walking with God. Everyone knows that Demetrius, he's a good man with good reputation. We can't say enough about him, imitate him. So here's what he's saying. Look, it's not all about Diotrephes. It's about finding somebody with Christian maturity and watching them. And then look at Diotrephes and say, man, isn't that ugly? Don't you hate it? or love it when you see your own particular sins and problems on somebody else operating, and you're like, oh, is that what I look like? And it is. And it's very helpful to look at a bad example and say, I don't want to be like that. I'm not going to be like that. And then look at a good example. And that's what he's saying with Demetrius. He's part of the answer, too. And he's got a great reputation. I love what, the, what Hebrews says. Chapter 13, verse 7, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Listen, watch out for the spirit of diatrophies in your marriages. When a couple sits before me and starts with me, myself, and I, my needs, my needs, my needs, he always, he always, he always, she never, she never, she never. You know what? Diotrephes is in the room. He's going to destroy you. Be about serving, forgiving, humbling yourself, denying self, picking up cross. Lay it down. Overlook personal offenses. That's a scripture. That's a command. Overlook it. Especially the petty ones. The ones that need to be dealt with, hard and fast, need to be dealt with. Common sense here. 90% of what we deal with is just little petty offenses, and you better let it go. You better forgive. You better get outside of yourself, my friend, or you're going to lose everything you've worked for. Why? Because the spirit of diatrophies is upon you. You've been wronged, and nobody knows, and I'm digging in my heels. You will to your own destruction. Forgive. Show mercy. Be about others. Get out of your own head and start doing his work. Become part 
of the answer. Lastly, I do not want to get to heaven and look into the face of Jesus Christ and have him say, Ross, you know what? I'm so glad you're here. I love you like nobody's business. However, you were a lot of work. I don't want to hear that, do you? Want him to say, oh my word, what were you thinking? I had to send this person and that person, and then you jumped that hurdle and this hurdle. No. I want him to say, oh, you are part of the answer. Thank you. You are a blessing. You brought joy to my heart. You're always helping, helping, helping. Even though all of the other stuff, you laid that aside for the work that was more important than you and what your little grievances are. Lay it down for the sake of God, the Son of God, the kingdom of God, heaven and hell, and the non-believing world that's looking in on you and us. Lay it down. Let's pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, I thank you for that last little word to somebody here. I just felt like maybe it's even me. Whatever. Lay it down. Whatever is, Father, in the way of hindering your love from flowing through us, a marriage from healing, um, a church from being its best for you, whatever it is, a relationship. Father, we pray for the movement of the Holy Spirit to enable us to be part of the answer to help the work of God that's only possible by your good grace, your Holy Spirit in us. Forgive us for the times we are a lot of work, and we know we all are. We want to, our goal is to become less work and more help to you. In Jesus' name, amen.